0: Good morning, it's Tuesday, December the 6th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown, let's hit the horns and go! Coming up on the show today... How can a conference be more inclusive and accessible? Kelly Braun Johnson will share some tips on just how to do that. We've got some new and old coming your way on the island of Prince Edward. What's old and familiar is a lack of accessible and affordable housing on PEI. You knew about that, but you'll also get to meet our new community reporter, Curtis Kelly. Who lives on the island. And Google has released a new reading mode app to assist blind and partially sighted users. Nelson Rago will give you the scoop. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day. And we're taking a look at some of the respiratory illnesses impacting provinces all over the country. But even before we get to that, we're going to go back in time where Canada's auditor...
1: Erin Hogan's first report will detail how well the government did getting a hold of COVID-19 vaccine doses and tracking how many people got them. The Liberal government made headlines in 2021 over concerns the rollout of provincial vaccine campaigns may be jeopardized by delayed shipments of COVID-19 vaccines. The auditor has also examined the distribution of benefit payments to people who lost income because of public health restrictions. The report is expected to show whether the Canada Revenue Agency and Employment and Social Development Canada made sure payments were accurate and paid to eligible applicants. Brenda Molina-Navidad. The Canadian press.
0: And plenty of public health officials held press conferences to give updates on respiratory illnesses spiking across the country. BC Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry talked about increasing influenza numbers.
2: We started to see quite a dramatic increase about two weeks ago. So I would say we're in the the sort of two to three week phase of it. Um, It tends to last two months or so. So uh, it's not too late to make a difference. And we've seen it level off a little bit in in, uh, older teens, but uh, definitely increasing still in the younger children.
0: Quebec's public health director, Dr. Luc Boileau, says that RSV, the flu and COVID are all putting a strain on the health system. This one... Is going to be tough. I mean, it, it is tough right now, and we observe situations that are difficult in pediatric wards or emergency rooms, but it's going to be a tough ride for the, uh, uh, the hospitals, or regular hospitals for adults. It, it's already the case. Alberta Health Minister Jason Copping reflected on staff being redeployed in the province to deal with a surge in patients at children's hospitals
3: there's no doubt about that and this is not just unique to you know albertans Children's Hospital this is uh you know we're seeing impacts across the entire country sick kids in Toronto which is reducing uh reducing surgeries you know Hamilton uh the CHOEO in Hamilton is called uh, nurses from from the from the Red Cross the c j
0: o chio in Ottawa Mr. Copping and more broadly the federal government wants to address the nationwide shortage of health care workers by supporting projects to reduce barriers for internationally trained health professionals. Minister of Immigration Sean Fraser says Ottawa will invest $90 million in these projects.
3: As of today, eligible organizations will be able to apply for funding towards projects that will help remove barriers preventing qualified and skilled newcomers from gaining employment in their profession or field of study. These new investments to support internationally educated health professionals will help ensure that our health care system is one of the best in the world.
0: The federal government will accept proposals from provincial or municipal governments, unions, hospitals, and non-profit organizations until the end of January 2023. So a tight deadline there, just about six weeks or so to get those proposals in if you work in that field. Let's get to our daily polls. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Yesterday we asked you, as a tourist, would you visit an active volcano actually got quite a bit of response here on this one. 32% of you said yes, 57% of you said no, and 11% of you said I already have. Maria writes in on Facebook, no, with an exclamation mark. Planning to do such a thing requires preparation in order to not suffocate with the fumes. So Maria taking a very pragmatic approach. Leona writes, Hawaii and Iceland have active volcanoes. They have so much to see and experience in addition to that, yes. I would visit. And JR tweets in, I get anxiety before I even go into Walmart. I would never go near an active volcano. So thank you to everybody who got involved at Accessible Media on Twitter or at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. I love it when you get involved in the comment section. Don't just vote. Comment. Share your thoughts. Let your voice be heard. This is a democracy after all. Today's Daily Poll Venturing a little bit more into the serious with the news update that I just gave you. Will rising rates of respiratory illness and the flu impact how you prepare for the holiday season? Yes or no. I'd mentioned to you yesterday that I'm trying to pack in a whole bunch of stuff here over the course of the last few weeks and a little bit into next week. But we're going to go into uh, something of a self-imposed uh, socialization lockdown here ahead of the holidays before I see my parents and my sister and my niece and a whole bunch of family and friends with little kids over the holidays. So we got to be a little bit cognizant, especially as we approach uh, that sort of one week, 10 day mark ahead of my return to Ottawa and the Montreal area for the holiday season. So I'm not going hardcore. We're not. We're not putting myself in a bubble. I'm still coming to work every day. I'm not going to be wearing a mask every single place that I go, Especially when we're doing tests in the new studio, can't wear a mask while I'm doing that. So I'm going to sort of a, a semi lockdown, being a little more judicious. Maybe no more bars and restaurants after the after this weekend. So that's what I have in mind. Alex Smythe, what about you?
4: Say that I'm necessarily going to be doing anything different to prepare. I I think it's kind of along the same lines of the level of caution I had last year and stuff I'm more kind of letting the people who are more vulnerable letting the people who have small kids in my life like letting them kind of be like okay well this is what we're comfortable with this is what we're not comfortable with and kind of playing by year with that like I'm like you Dave I I was pretty comfortable being out and about I get my vaccinations I get my boosters I I got my flu shots so I'm doing all those things to help make sure that I'm kind of in the best position possible. Am I wearing a mask in every single location that I go right now? No, but uh, you know, if cases continue to rise and uh, there's more kind of pressure to put one on, I'll, I'll definitely uh, put on a mask more more frequently in public. But as far as how I'm preparing, I wouldn't say it's it's impacting me uh, at all at this point. But you know, things could change in the next couple of weeks, as as we saw in you know in the previous years where. You know cases just surge right before the the holidays and it, it causes a lot of rethinking of how folks are getting together over the break because i i want to be able to see my my extended family i don't know if it's going to be possible we have a bunch of uh, young kids uh, who you know we all need to be careful around so it may just be one of those things we have to hold off on, on getting together in a, a big family way and just have a few more smaller get together. Grace Schofield is in the
0: audio control room this morning. Grace, we're always grateful to have you uh, alongside the show. I know uh, it's one of those times of year for, for students and your friend group. Maybe there's going to be a little bit of celebration, but it's also a time to get ready to go home for the holidays. So how do you balance that out this time of year? How are you approaching the holiday season?
5: Uh, well, for my family, we're all kind of in the same boats. We're all around the same age range. We don't have any younger kids coming to our celebrations. We also don't have any older people coming to our celebrations, and we're all in oh, the involved... sweet spot
0: the sweet yeah. spot right there yeah,
5: so we're all involved in the same social environments too. We're all in schools, we're all in offices, and so we all took the approach that you know we're going to be cautious going up to it of, you know, making sure that we are feeling well when we go to these family celebrations. But other than that, for us, there's not too much we can do apart from get our vaccinations and try and make sure that we are staying as well as possible Yeah, and eating lots of oranges. (laughs) Yeah.
0: As much vitamin C as you can cram into your body, the multivitamins, the vitamin C. Yeah. the, The joke that I've been telling a few people is that I've been sick three times in the last nine weeks. So I've got every antibody. Uh, available yes. to me at my disposal. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've, I've been sick with everything but big Rona in the last nine weeks, so yeah. I feel uh, somewhat invincible, but also rather <laughs> frail after the last nine weeks. So uh, we'll see. We'll see where we finally land on that one. Uh, Grace, we'll talk to you a little bit later in the show. I want to hear about an alleged dance party that you went to on the weekend that involved maybe Harry Styles.
5: Sounds good, Dave. Okay,
0: all right. We're gonna we're gonna put a pin in that one for now, though. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on. Facebook, that's where you vote on the poll. Will rising rates of respiratory illness and the flu impact how you prepare for the holiday season? Let's head over to Alex Smythe. Alex has the national weather
4: updates. Here is your AMI national weather report from Environment Canada. We're starting out in St. John's, Newfoundland, where there's rain off and on today and a high of three degrees. Over to Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's mainly sunny with a high of six degrees. And now to Montreal, Quebec. It's cloudy and it's raining in the afternoon with up to 10 millimeters expected. And the high there is seven degrees. Over to Ottawa, Ontario, it's rain off and on today and a high of three degrees. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy and the possibility of rain coming as well. The high is also seven degrees. As we move our way westward to Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's cloudy and snowing with up to four centimeters expected. The high is minus eight, but that wind chill makes it feel like minus 25. Now, as we get into Winnipeg, Manitoba, this is where we really start to see that cold winter air. So it's cloudy and snowing, up to four centimeters expected there as well. It's a a high of minus 18, and a wind chill of minus 35. As we continue to move westward, it's a Saskatchewan, uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, there's snow in the morning, then it's clearing up in the afternoon. It's a high of minus 28, and it is continuing to fall, and the wind chill will be minus 42. So as you can expect, there's an extreme cold warning in effect for the area. Over to Calgary, Alberta, there's snow today with up to four centimeters expected in the area. The high is minus 20, but that windchill makes it feel like minus 32. To Edmonton, Alberta, it's sunny, but it's still frigid cold. The high is minus 25, and that windchill makes it feel like minus 40. An extreme cold warning is also in effect for the area. Up to Yellowknife Northwest Territories, it's mainly sunny, it's a high of minus 33, and that windchill makes it feel like minus 52 degrees. So. Uh, You can bet there's also the extreme cold warning in effect for Yellowknife. It's extremely cold. Only go outside if you have to. Over to Vancouver, B.C., where it's slightly warmer. There's up to two centimeters of snowfall this morning, changing to a risk of rain. And freezing rain is a possibility. The high is three degrees today, but there is also that special weather statement in effect due to the chance of the freezing rain. It's very ugly conditions out in Vancouver today. And finally, Victoria, B.C. There's rain off and on today, and the high is 4 degrees. That's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada.
0: Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, we'll talk about what can be done to make conferences more inclusive and accessible. Kelly Brown johnson has a few tips on that one. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Conferences and events have really been ramping up. It can be a mixed bag when it comes to inclusion. Some are good and some are bad. So what can you do to make sure that everyone feels more accommodated at your next conference? Kelly Braun-Johnson is the founder of Completely Inclusive and Kelly has some tips and advice. Hey, good morning, Kelly. Kelly.
6: Good morning, Dave.
0: So, Kelly, you've been doing some journeying the last little bit for work and pleasure, and you've made your way through a couple of airports, and we don't have to dwell on this, but to your mind, what makes for an inclusive airport experience before somebody even gets to a conference?
6: So, in the last two weeks, I flew through four international airports, three of which were in Canada, Um, and it's been really interesting to see the differences in terms of where they put their... Uh, emphasis in terms of accessibility you know what they're offering some have quiet rooms some have play areas for kids Um, some make it easy to request assistance and some you're waiting for 15 20 minutes Um, but for what like makes a really inclusive experience I think that designers um, and airport staff have to really look at the customer experience all the time with fresh eyes and they need to be asking questions you know where. Where are the bottlenecks? What kind of questions are being asked over and over again? How can we make this experience easier? Because airports are stressful and hectic places and people are tired, right? (laughs) So...
0: Yeah, airports are very much a means to an end. To say say that some are more pleasant than others is is fair, but even the pleasant ones aren't necessarily super, super pleasant. Uh, Kelly, do people underestimate just how important the accessibility experience at a place like an airport, a train station, a bus station, how important that is when it comes to an impression of just how inclusive a city may feel?
6: Absolutely, 100%. I think um, trying to find ways to make things easier for others. But every time it seems that one demographic of people gets left out. and it's, and it's funny because when I told people I was about to, to travel, immediately everybody started sharing their horror stories you know of not being able to hear announcements properly, not having the wayfinding they need. Um, like I said, waiting for 15-20 minutes for assistance. Um, An airport staff can do really well in one area and then completely fail in another area. And I think that's what is, makes it so inconsistent unpredictable and that's what's frustrating for everyone not just disabled people but everyone
0: I'm going to be careful here because uh because I know you have clients all over the country but let me just say an airport or a train station will very much influence the places that I'm willing to travel the city that Mm. I currently live in for example the GTA has a really rough train station and a really rough airport if I didn't live here I would never want to go through those two places
6: oh no yeah (laughs) Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's a fact. That that, a that's, fact that's,
0: sure. that's just an yeah. objective fact. Uh, Kelly, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about one of the reasons why you've been journeying, and that was to attend a conference. I, I want to break down the uh, positives or the possibilities into two different categories, the inclusiveness of the presentations and the inclusivity of the conference itself. So let's start with the information presented. What should be provided to make sure attendees feel as included as possible?
6: So for me, um, and you know, I was going to present at the conference, which I think is a very different experience from going to attend a conference. Um, So things are, I'm a bit more in control of of what I'm doing and and how I do things. So I try to control on my end in terms of what uh, accessibility that I can offer, you know, things that I am able to do. uh, Like I enable captions on my slide presentation Um, and, you know, I call them craptions. They're they're auto-generated. They're not perfect. Um, but if the conference is not um, offering cart, let's say, then I'm going to at least offer my auto captions. Um, I make sure that I'm providing visual descriptions. I'm reading the text on the slides. Um, I, I do as much as I can. But, you know, I've been to conferences where they've had uh, ASL interpretation. They've had braille handouts. Um, And I think that we really need to ask people what their accessibility needs are and try to provide as much of that as possible. To me, that's what makes a great conference.
0: Mm, Absolutely. And the fact is, if you give people more material, they're going to feel more engaged and present at the conference, which is a good thing for the presenters as well. So as we think about things more broadly, what are the other things a conference organizer should keep in mind to make sure people are comfortable and included right from the get-go?
6: You know, I talk about food a lot <laughs> um, and it, I'm just saying in the last conference that I was at, you know, we, there were some issues with the food. Um, us gluten-free people had some problems in the morning um, and the conference organizers did not expect that. They were not happy about that. And luckily things kind of got fixed by lunchtime. But, um, you know, these, these kind of things happen. We have to kind of think about plan A, plan B, uh, plan C sometimes when we're when we're managing conferences. Um, But I also appreciate things like quiet rooms to get away from the crowd, get away from the noise. Um, And I also appreciate being checked in with. I I like to see that my presence is valued, that I'm appreciated to be there. And I know in a big conference is not always easy, but if conference organizers can go up to your presenters and say, hey, is everything going okay for you? Is there anything you need? I just really appreciate a, a little check in.
0: Yeah, I like the check-in in in the midst of a conference. I also like being given some information at my fingertips beforehand. You can always tell when an organizer has their I's dotted and their T's crossed weeks in advance versus someone who's kind of running towards the finish line because it's even something like giving me some idea of where the check-in desk is going to be or where I can go to kind of get my initial point of contact On my way into the place, even something as simple as what door should I enter? And I was at an event at the uh, Palais du Congrès in Montreal in 2015, and there's like 72 bazillion doors to get into that place. And if they hadn't sort of specified, we recommend this door off this street, I would have been lost for like hours in that place.
6: Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. It's Uh, big.
0: Uh, Kelly you mentioned the the quiet room side of this and i think that's one of the things about a conference that can sort of say ooh the in person is nice because you get to really interact with people but it's also difficult because you end up interacting with a whole bunch of people and it's exhausting but we also know that the 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 hybrid side or the or the digital side has been appealing for some folks as well now that you've lived both sides of this life in the last couple of years do you find yourself having a preference versus in person or digitally attending a conference
6: so when i'm presenting i actually really enjoy uh, being able to see people in real time I like being able to see people's reactions their body language um, I, I, I get more feedback i find it's better than when I'm uh, doing virtual conferences and a lot of times when i'm presenting virtually people have their cameras off and i'm they, i'm just presenting to a black screen <laughs> so uh, it, it's 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 difficult it's a different it's a completely different energy um and so i really actually enjoy going and traveling um i love business travel i know i'm strange for that <laughs> but um i love to go and be uh, with people when i'm presenting i i get a high i guess out of being in front of a group and i think the pressure is kind of off me in the sense that at that point for the rest of the conference people recognize me and they come up to me and I don't have to go in and put the effort in for networking and, and trying mm. to get myself out there because people are actually coming up to me to chat with me. And that that takes a lot of the pressure off.
0: I like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've experienced that a couple of times myself over the years. It definitely takes some of the pressure off. Hey, Kelly, this is going to be the last time we uh, chat with you ahead of the holiday season live on air. So I wanted to say, hey, thank you for everything you've done for us this year. And I'm glad the travels you just had were safe. And uh, we'll talk to you again in 2023.
6: Thank you. Happy holidays.
0: That's Kelly Braun-Johnson, the founder of Completely Inclusive. Coming up next, Lawrence Gunther explains what deep-sea mining is and explores the debate around its necessity. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business minutes.
7: Falling energy prices and renewed fears around the path ahead for interest rate hikes helped push Canada's main stock index down 1.2% yesterday. Toronto's TSX index fell 243 points to close at 20,242. New York's Dow Jones average dropped 482 points and the Nasdaq gave back 221. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 65 points and our dollar is trading lower overseas this morning at 73.58 cents U.S. Equifax Canada says an increase in borrowers helped push total consumer debt to $2.36 trillion in the third quarter for a 7.3% rise from last year, even as mortgage volumes decline, Average non-mortgage debt rose to $21,183. Equifax says early signs of strain are starting to show in auto loans and credit cards. Credit card spending in the quarter was up 17% from last year. From the Canadian press, business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo.
0: Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. An environmental battle is brewing about whether or not deep sea mining is necessary. Here for his perspective on that issue is Lawrence Gunther. Lawrence is the host of AMI-audio's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther, which you can find Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern time and, of course, on demand on your favourite podcasting platform. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. Hi, Dave. So, Lawrence, what exactly is all the
3: interest in the ocean floor about? Potatoes, my friend, potatoes. Well, not exactly potatoes, but potato-shaped polymetallic nodules. You'll wrap your mind around that one, my friend. Uh, it, it sounds very
0: scientific. What what are these nodules?
3: They're little potato-shaped chunks of uh, of. Uh... Precious metals that everyone wants, everyone needs. This is the future of our electric vehicles, solar panels, batteries, all of that depend on the metals in these potatoes. The only problem is they're located about four to six kilometers below the surface of the ocean.
0: Yes, that's a ways down. So (laughs) when someone uses the expression deep sea mining, certainly we've been mining for oil in seas and oceans for a while. How about, how, how do they
3: go about extracting these things from the bottom of the ocean? No, one's quite figured that one out yet. You know, they've done some testing and, uh, and, you know, but they haven't really sort of developed the technology to scrape these things off the ocean floor because they're just really just lying down there on the floor of the ocean, you know, just waiting to be picked up. You could really literally just walk around there and just pick them up and put them in a bag. But how do you do that from six kilometers above, right, without destroying everything? That's that's the challenge is is this is these are ecosystems down there. Do we just want to lay waste to it all in our greed and hunger for these metals or are we going to do it the right way or are we going to do it at all? So let's go a little bit deeper into that.
0: Why are certain groups so opposed to this kind of mining? What are the risks that are present?
3: They're, they're, they're just the mining uh process itself, it's not developed yet. It's not defined. And we know that whenever, you know, there's an extraction type of uh operation, industrial operation that, you know, whether it's forestry or seafood or or oil, and in this case precious metals, you know, there's always a lot of destruction and, and, and um, environmental damage that happens. Dave, these are these are this is some of the the last untouched ecosystems of the planet Earth, right? Ninety percent of the life down there is unknown.
0: We know government policy has a lot to do with whether or not people are going to be uh, messing with oceans, at least that are mm. part of the uh, coastlines of countries. But then we get into the open water, Lawrence, and things get a little bit more loosey-goosey. That's where Mike Tyson fought Secretariat on a barge in uh, international <laughs> waters. That that never actually happened.
3: The horse didn't fight Mike Tyson. But oh, what, do, yeah, what, what, what do governments have to say about this? Well, the International Seabed Authority is the organization in charge of overseeing all this. They've issued 17 companies permission to do exploration, not mining, but exploration. The Canadian government is saying, you know, we will watch this, we will make sure that there's monitoring and uh, examination and and, uh, and and that all the practices will be sound and that uh, will be no destruction or very little destruction, you know, they're so they're not saying no. The challenge is, though, Dave, if if all these 17 companies now turn around and get mining permits and who do you decide gets them and who doesn't, right? I mean, if they all want them, how do you say yes to some and no to others? So there could be 17 companies all of a sudden mining the stretch of the ocean. And it's primarily the stretch of the ocean between Mexico and Hawaii that's known for the rich, rich um, polymetallic nodules. So... You've got 17 companies all of a sudden going down there with their equipment, you know, it's scraping stuff off the ground. There's a lot of uh, potential damage. Now, the Institute, the International Seabed Authority, has sectioned off some and to protect it. How much of that, I'm not sure. So they have set aside some of this territory to say, you know, no one's allowed to go there. But just mining activity itself, Dave, the sound, right, within five kilometers is is preventative of whales and and other animals like that, marine animals, from hunting, the sound is so loud. The sound can carry as far as 500 kilometers, right? Mm. That's how noisy it's going to be. 500 kilometers, you could be able to hear it underwater. Well, maybe not us, but, you know, the creatures that live underwater that depend on sound would be able to hear it.
0: Yeah, not not a scientist over here, Lawrence. I left my lab coat at home this morning, but I would also be concerned generally about any kind of extraction at the deepest points of the ocean floor, even for some tectonic activity, right? What are you potentially opening up in regards to either uh, volcanic activity, tectonic activity, creating, creating any kind of ripples in some of the trenches and forges that we have there? I would be really concerned about messing around with that stuff.
3: Oh, for sure, you know, you're, you're knocking down things that have taken thousands and thousands of years to evolve. This is the abyssal ocean, Dave. This abyssal, just I looked it up, the definition of abyssal. Abyssal ocean means the part of the ocean, the de- deep parts of the ocean where there's absolutely no light. So not all things require light to survive. But there's parts of the ocean that are complete in complete darkness and yet things survive. Now you go down there and you look around... You probably don't see much, but then all of a sudden you see a, a shipwreck and a whole bunch of crabs and clams and, and, and seashell-type uh, crustaceans on that on that shipwreck, or a dead whale, and it's surrounded by by sea animals. And you think, where do they come from? Because of the rest of the—a uh, lot of this ocean floor is just—it's just what they call covered in ocean snow. And ocean snow is the, de- the deterioration of, of animals— and life and plants and things that were on the surface of the ocean, and as they drifted down and they 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 uh, dissolved, they fall to the ocean floor as mm. as snow.
0: It's like ocean compost. You know that, that yeah. ends, it ends up uh, recycling uh, the, the the rest of life. Um, Lawrence, yeah. ultimately, what do you think should be taken away from the debate over deep sea mining?
3: You know, Dave, it, it, as with all things. You know, it's, you know, we lose look at things now with this EGS thing right there, ESG, ESG, environmental issues, social issues, governance issues. You know, we're, we're, scientists are taking this approach on everything now, this ESG approach to uh, examining everything. My feeling is, you know, having seen uh, commercial fishing destroy, um, you know, fish stocks, it's the technology. It's not governance, it's not environmental, social issues, it's the technology. When we want to build something to get something done, we build something to get it done as efficiently, as quickly as possible. Mm. We don't necessarily think about the destruction and what we leave in a, in the wake because this these, these giant machines that uh, industry creates to do extraction, they're built by private sector. And the private sector is all about profit, maximizing profit. So I think if this is going to happen... This is where we need to put the focus on what are these machines going to look like? How are these machines going to operate? And should we allow those machines or should the machines be developed in ways that do not, you know, destroy the ocean floor, but do it in a way that leaves it more or less the way they find it?
0: Lawrence, maybe I should have had a little bit more follow-up about these polymetallic nodules because hmm. I'm curious about the metals that are inside. Oh. And, and now here's, now here's where my, my line of thinking goes. There is some criticism slash a lot of criticism about the way in which we're mining for some of the materials related to making batteries for electric vehicles, particularly in parts of Ontario right now, which mm-hmm. is – Understandable, but we can maybe make the argument this is a means to an end, that in the end there may be a little bit of neutrality, carbon neutrality into getting these precious metals. What exactly is in these nodules? Are we just talking about ocean gold here? Because if it's just about gold and, like, diamonds (laughs) and stuff to, like, put money in people's pockets, maybe I'm a little less open to the idea. But if we're getting the stuff that we're going to be using to build renewable energy projects, well, maybe that's a little bit different.
3: It's not gold, it's not diamonds, it's not precious stones. And I hear what you're saying, like this is not about bling, you know, this is not about glamour. This is cobalt, it's copper, it's nickel, it's magnesium. These are the essential metals that are found in our phones our laptops. You know, solar panels and the batteries that are going into our electric vehicles. You know, the race is on, right? In terms of where you can find these metals around the world, there's a, a, a bit in Africa, a fair bit in the, a there's few a, countries in Africa. There's, there's a bunch.
0: There's a bunch in Ukraine, which obviously has nothing to do with why there's an invasion going on there. <laughs>
3: No comment. <laughs> and then there's, and then you're right. And there's some up in in the northwestern Ontario, the Ring of Fire, right? The Ring of Fire, the, where they're going to start building roads to get to the uh, northwestern Ontario, a part where there's no roads, and so the mining companies can get their equipment in there and start mining these precious metals because you know all the governments have lined up behind the idea of creating batteries and electric vehicles in Ontario for the jobs. So, you know, the question is then, do we do we deal with the stuff on land and make sure that's done properly and focus in on that? Or do we do the stuff in the ocean and make sure that's done properly and focus in on that? Or do we spread ourselves a little thin here and, um, and let it happen on multiple levels? I, in the end, you know... As much as we like to think government controls the economy, the government has very little to do about the economy. If a company doesn't like operating in Canada because they don't like our rules, they'll just go to some other country and operate out of that country, right? So, you know, we can either work with them or we can kick them out of the country, but we're not going to stop this from happening. It's going to happen. It would take a serious, serious concerted international consensus to make this not happen, and and these are international waters, so it would take an international decision. And even then, right, even then, it would just take one country to say sorry.
0: Yeah, absolutely, uh, Lawrence. You've been absolutely killing it all year, lo- all year long with your episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther oh. on AMI Audio and the podcast. What do you have
3: coming up on the next episode? Well, we're gonna look at uh, bears hibernating, Dave. This is oh, something yeah. that's you know like mm. close to your heart, and mine, right? Yeah, <laughs> time to curl up and sleep through winter. <laughs> I'm, I'm into that. I've I've I'm been I've been
0: mistaken for a bear or two in my life. <laughs> I
3: know I know I've seen you snoring away there, and curled <laughs> up, you know, sleeping. <laughs> got got me a little scared, but yeah. So we're looking at. Do bears actually hibernate? And what does that, what does that look like? We're going to look at that a little bit. We're going to talk about uh, some of the new GPS technologies that's rolling out there too. So yeah, we got, uh, got some pretty cool stuff happening. Lawrence, bear follow-up question. Have
0: you ever pet a bear? Have you ever like touched a Uh live bear?
3: no i've touched dead ones but not alive okay, one. ones. that's one. a different story I, yeah. do
0: you know for something that's so deadly and dangerous especially of the polar and grizzly variety uh bears are like the cutest thing in the world
3: they are <laughs> dave i'll tell you what bears are like when you when you take the fur off a bear and you remove the claws and you remove the head and you take the fur off and you know after after hunt what you got is a human body it's really creepy oh my like gosh. they look like us oh my gosh
0: well there you go a little bear talk with lawrence gunther coming up this weekend lawrence this is the last time we're going to chat with you ahead of the holidays so sir all the best to you and the family keep up all the great work and we'll talk to you in 2023 dave keep rocking it man you're doing a fantastic job thank you sir i appreciate it of course i'm mentioning this to a lot of our contributors this week that it's the last time we're going to chat with them in 2022 Because as of the end of this week, we are going to be done with live shows through the rest of the year. Starting on Monday, we're going to be doing a lot of uh, technical tests with a new control room and a new studio. And uh, considering our luck with technology, we thought maybe not the best idea to bring that live to air. So after this Friday, we're going to be on a little bit of a hiatus. No, now with Dave Brown has not been canceled. We're very grateful for that. Although you never know when that shoe may drop. I can be a little bit of a loose cannon over here. But we will be away for a couple of weeks through the holidays into the new year. Looking at a relaunch date with the new control room and new studio coming your way on Monday, January the 9th. Monday, January the 9th is the uh, prospective launch day of the new studio and new control room. So... If you're listening to the podcast or you're watching us on TV and you wonder, hey, where's Dave next Monday? Dave is alive and well, just uh, not broadcasting live, putting on a private show for some of the new crew we have around uh, this neck of the woods. They're slowly but surely being a little more horrified as they spend more time with me. Don't forget, you can always catch Lawrence Gunther on Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio or download the podcast on your favorite podcast podcasting platform. Coming up after the break, we've got something old and something new. The new is a new community reporter, Curtis Kelly. The old is an issue that we talk about over and over and over again on the show, a lack of accessible and affordable housing, in this case, on Prince Edward Island. But first, more brain implants are being approved for human testing. Dave Packer has more in Tech Trends.
2: Synchron
4: recently became the first company to receive FDA approval for clinical trials of a brain implant called the Synchron Switch. Reid Abrogati is the technology editor at Semaphore.
8: You know, so they're still putting something in your body, but they're not opening up your brain.
4: Abrogati says unlike a traditional brain implant, the switch is inserted into the brain through a blood vessel. No surgery required.
8: It's really interesting. Instead of trying to actually implant the sensors on the brain, they've found blood vessels that they can use to get very close to the brain.
0: He says the tech is currently being tested in a small number of ALS patients. Tinkron
8: is actually allowing these people to do things like type and click on, you know, desktop, you know, on on operating system icons with their brain, things like that. With Tech Trends, I'm Dave Packer, ABC News.
0: Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We're always happy to be introducing you to new folks and new characters on this show. Well, let's bring in Curtis Kelly, a new community reporter in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. Hey, good morning, Curtis. How are you?
8: Hello, Dave. I'm doing quite well. How are you?
0: I'm well. Nice to chat with you, sir. I had the chance to meet you last month on a quick Zoom call, but you are now introducing yourself to a national audience. So tell me a, more, a bit more about yourself and your backgrounds.
8: I'd be happy to. So um, I guess to start off would be to let everyone know that um, I'm a person who was born with uh, visual impairment uh, called optic nerve hypoplasia. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar with the condition, it's un- an underdevelopment of the optic nerves. Um, so I'm nearsighted. And um, I managed to uh, to get through my schooling and stuff rather well using assistive technologies and uh, software to compensate for the lack of vision. But uh, seeing as I'd never had normal eyesight in my life, uh, at least I don't know what I'm missing. <laughs> um, and uh, at the age of 14, I uh, was diagnosed with bone cancer in my right leg. And so that uh, caused me to undergo some uh, chemotherapy and uh, treatments to take care of that. Unfortunately, it eventually led to the amputation of my right leg um, at the age of 20. But um, I wouldn't really necessarily say that these are bad experiences. They obviously weren't pleasant, but they did bring about uh, some some nice changes as well. Um, for example, I got—I did get a once-in-a-lifetime experience to meet the cast of Harry Potter. So I mean, that's that pretty was, cool. Uh,
0: that's nice pretty good, experience. yeah.
8: Yes. So, um, like I say, it was—it's definitely been a rough road growing up, but um, it was a road that um, I wouldn't change, nonetheless, because it—it uh, brought with it a lot of life lessons of not taking anything for granted appreciating what we have and um, even more importantly is uh, it's also what sparked my interest in public speaking as I was the spokesperson for the Children's Wish Foundation for over a year oh
0: wow yeah Yes, yeah, so it, it it speaks it it speaks to the way in which a lot of our experiences can frame who we are, whether they're negative or positive experiences. Is how we deal with them, but certainly they can they can frame who we are as humans as we keep moving forward.
8: Exactly.
0: So, Curtis, one of the things that we'll talk about a lot on this show from province to province and with experts and analysis is accessible and affordable housing. To say that the situation is bad across the country would probably be an understatement. But, Curtis, what about specifically on the island? What's the situation like when it comes to accessible and affordable housing?
8: Well, I think you hit the nail right on the head when you said the situation is bad is an understatement because, um, as everyone already knows, um, rents across the country have been going up for quite some time. Minimum wages, on the other hand, haven't really been keeping up with the cost of the living. Um, So it's uh, (laughs) – It's been quite a battle for an able-bodied individual to find um, housing that's affordable and in their price range. But on Prince Edward Island, um, we have very few uh, accessible residences that are also affordable. Um, Many of the apartment buildings on the island are uh, not on the main level or don't have elevators, and so... Just finding an accessible place to live on the island is a bit of a challenge. I myself am rather lucky, as I do live in a center which was built solely around providing accessibility to its tenants. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, there are very few centers like the Kay Reynolds Center in Prince Edward Island that follow suit. So it, it's even a larger challenge for people with accessibility issues mm. than for an able-bodied person.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's an experience that's all too common for people all across the country. What kind of resources exist for people on the island to access some assistance for uh, finding a place to live?
8: Well, there there are definitely government programs that people are able to tap into, but unfortunately, these aren't very well advertised for people to get into. So, on the island, one of the things that I get people to look into most of all is um, a, an organization called Resource Abilities, uh, formerly the PEI Council for People with Disabilities. And they provide a lot of information on government funding programming as well as providing advocacy and other uh supports for persons with uh, accessibility needs.
0: Where should somebody and, go to learn more about uh resource abilities
8: well um they they do have a website um which is uh PEI uh, CA, I do believe, um, but um, they're located uh, like if, for people that live in Charlottetown, they can always go to their main office, which is located down at uh, five Lower Mall Road. But um, most people, um, I would recommend just calling up the the head office and um, and talking to them directly. Uh, their number is nine zero two. 6284825 and they have a lovely directory that is nice and easy to understand to get to the person that you're looking for and if you're not sure um, who you're looking for the uh, the person at the main deck desk um, would, would definitely be happy to um, direct you to whoever you need to talk to whether it's to do with finding accessible housing or getting um, some guidance for putting together a resume to find a job, whatever it need be.
0: Well, Curtis, it's been really nice to uh, meet you here for your first appearance on the show. We look forward to hearing plenty more about issues on the island and what's going on in your life over the course of the uh, next year. So for now, we say all the best to you over the holiday season and uh, we'll talk to you in 2023.
8: All right. Well, thank you very much, Dave. I'm really looking forward to it, and I hope all of you have a wonderful day.
0: That is Curtis Kelly, community reporter in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. And, of course, if you want more information on the stories we cover on the show, especially when we're talking to community reporters, when there's links and phone numbers and dashes and slashes, you can always head over to the blog, ami.ca slash now ami.ca slash now. Let's wrap up the hour by sharing a couple of news stories. You know, we were just talking to Lawrence Gunther about electric vehicles and electric vehicle manufacturing and some of the resources and raw materials needed for that. Well, there was some news yesterday out of Ontario where Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Ontario Premier Doug Ford celebrated the opening of Canada's first full-scale electric vehicle manufacturing plant. The two leaders visited the General Motors plant in Ingersoll, Ontario. Prime Minister Trudeau says this is an important investment.
3: When we invested in GM's project... We knew we'd get
0: results. Now, as the first BrightDrop electric vans come off the line, we get to see these results. The Ingersoll plant is expected to manufacture 50,000 electric vehicles by 2025. And in a related story, the UN Biodiversity Conference starts in Montreal today. Federal Environment Minister Stephen Guibault says Canada has four main goals for a final agreement that may get signed. They include preserving 30% of oceans and land, reversing biodiversity loss by 2030, providing money to developing nations to allow them to meet the targets, and ensuring that Indigenous people are consulted and included in the policies. Overall, there are 22 issues being discussed, including the halting of the spread of invasive species and reducing the use of pesticides and plastics. And let's get to one more climate-related story for you. Some parts of the Arctic are experiencing substantial warmer weather this fall. Lisa Dwyer has more.
7: Much of the Arctic is in a burst of freak December warming. Temperatures in Alaska's northernmost community hit 40 degrees Monday morning. That's not only a record by 6 degrees, but it's also the warmest that that region has seen on record from late October to late April. A couple of days ago, Greenland hit 54 degrees. Scientists say some of it is random weather from storms, and some of it is from low sea ice. Open water acts as a heating pad in the Arctic in the winter. On Sunday, the Arctic as a whole averaged 11.5 degrees warmer than the 1979 to 2000 average temperature. I'm Lisa Dwyer.
0: Of course, with wind chills in the minus 50 in the Northwest Territories today, they may not be feeling like it's substantially warmer. As always, I'm encouraging you to share your feedback with what you see or hear on this show. We have very thick skin and we're open to your criticism We also like your compliments. You know, feel free not to focus on the negatives. We like hearing the positives too. So you can always give us your feedback by sending us emails, feedback at AMI.ca, feedback at AMI.ca. If you put now with Dave Brown in the subject line, it might get to us a little bit faster because every now and then there's a message that you do send to us and, uh... It sort of gets spread around being like, who is this actually for? Who 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 was this guest? Who was this person? Who are you talking about? So if you put Now with Dave Brown in the subject line, it lets the good people at marketing know that you're listening to Now with Dave Brown, that we are the driving force behind your listener and viewer engagement. You can also find us all over social media. You can find us at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook and Instagram. And if you punch in at Accessible Media on Twitter, or TikTok, you can find us on those platforms. So at Accessible Media Inc. at the Meta family of social medias and the other ones are at Accessible Media. But maybe social media is not your thing. Maybe you prefer not to be sending emails. Maybe you want to go old school and pick up the phone and let your voice be heard. Well, we can do that one too. We can play your voice from coast to coast to coast on AMI-TV and then your voice can be heard all around the world via the Mighty AMI Audio Podcast Network. So do give us that buzz at 1 509 4545. 1 509 4545. However, if you do want your voice to blare across the universe, you have to give us permission to play it on the air. Otherwise, it's just for my own personal entertainment. Coming up after the break, We'll have the regional news update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's Now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, December the 6th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Google has released a new reading mode app to assist blind and partially sighted users. Nelson Rago will give you the scoop on that one. And it's News Quiz Tuesday. Karen McGee, Ryan Delahanty, and Alex Smythe will be put to the test this week for our last News Quiz of 2022. Speaking of the news, let's get to the regional news update. Beginning in the province of British Columbia, the BC Federation of Labour wants employees to have more paid sick days. Delegates at the Federation's BC law currently guarantees five days paid leave to people who have worked for an employer for at least 90 days. The law was passed during the pandemic. BC Labour Minister Harry Baines would not commit to increasing that number when asked. Over to the prairies, the Alberta government is making changes to its Sovereignty Act, specifically removing powers given to the Premier and Cabinet to make laws without approval in the legislature. Premier Daniel Smith says she's glad people expressed concerns about the legislation.
5: They wanted to seek some clarity, and that's the kind of leader I am. I want to make sure that we get this bill right, and I'm grateful that my caucus is going to propose amendments to do that.
0: (laughs) NDP leader Rachel Notley says Smith appears to be out of her depth.
5: Here's the thing. She either got caught in her attempt to seize power
1: and is now desperately scrambling to cover that up, or she literally didn't
5: know what was in her bill.
0: Mount Royal University political science professor Dwayne Bratt says there's still a key question to be addressed about the legislation.
3: Gremlins didn't put this in the legislature, in the legislation. Someone had to write this. Someone had to okay it.
0: Let's pivot over to Ontario, where the November real estate numbers for the Greater Toronto area have been released. Karen Rebo takes a closer look.
7: In its report this morning, the board says November's 49% decline from last year to over 4,500 sales came as rising interest rates continue to put pressure on affordability and the real estate market. There were nearly 8,900 new listings for the month, a 12% decline from a year earlier, also down from October. The average price across all home types in the Greater Toronto Area was down 7.2% in November. A detached home sold on average for $1.39 million dollars while a condo was 709,000. Karen Rebo, The Canadian Press, Toronto.
0: And December the 6th does mark a couple of somber anniversaries, beginning in Quebec, where tributes are planned today in Montreal to commemorate victims of the École Polytechnique shooting. On December the 6th, 1989, a gunman killed 14 female students and injured 13 other people at the Montreal Engineering School. Flags outside of the school's main building are at half-mast and remain like that throughout the day. The anniversary of the mass shooting was proclaimed National Day of Remembrance, an action on violence against women in 1991. And in the Atlantic provinces today marks 105 years since the explosion that devastated the north end of Halifax. Over 2,000 people were killed and another 9,000 were injured during the Halifax explosion. The Halifax Regional Municipality held a memorial service at 9 a.m. at Fort Needham Memorial Park. And of course, we know that uh, that explosion was actually one of the key foundational pieces of the creation of the CNIB, the Canadian National Institute of the Blind. So that is one of the outcomes of the Halifax explosion, but certainly a day to be marked across the country. It's also the anniversary of the uh, bombing of Pearl Harbor. So lots to uh, mark and commemorate today on December the 6th. Let's bring in Brock Richardson. It's time for a sports chat. All right, Brock, let's start with the World Cup. Before we talk about today's games, let's look back to yesterday. I'm curious which game you want to talk about. Was it the actual entertaining game between (laughs) Croatia and Japan, or was it the beautiful game played by Brazil against South Korea?
9: Uh, Let's start with your words, the actual entertaining game. Um, The the Croatia-Japan game was... I would say on the top list of games that I enjoyed watching, um, let me just highlight the fact that when you as a goalkeeper stop, not one, not two, but three penalty kicks, you're doing something good. And they made remarks that he will be forever uh, acknowledged in Croatia as the guy who stood on his head to propel Croatia into the round of eight quarterfinals. And it was just an amazing, amazing game to watch. I actually, uh, after coming off of this segment yesterday, I actually got on and I'm thinking, this game's still going on. Wow, this is this is good. And it was such an entertaining game to watch. And I really like the Croatian story. I think Croatia's been one of those hidden gems of this tournament, if you will, and they're moving on so we'll see how they do
0: of course they went to the uh final in the last World Cup in 2018 in Russia. So perhaps their success shouldn't be so surprising to us, but it's the way in which they managed to contrast some style against Japan. Japan was such a counterpunching, punching counter-attacking team that was perpetually pressuring Croatia when given the opportunity that actually led to a couple offsides that were uh, quite tight. And that was something we saw in the Spain game and the Germany game for the Japanese team as well. They were really, really good at pressing the ball down field and trying to put pressure on Croatia's defenders. But what an amazing coaching adjustment the Croatian squad made by saying, you know what we're going to do? We're not even going to bother attacking you anymore. We're going to tie the game 1-1 and then we are going to park the bus and we are going to control the ball through the majority of the second half and extra time. And to the point, Brock, that during extra time, Croatia made three substitutions for penalty kick specialists. This team knew exactly what they wanted. They wanted to bring the game to penalty kicks because they thought they could beat Japan there. It was a bit of tactical genius from this Croatian squad.
9: Yeah, it was. And I'll be honest, I, I was watching this going, there must be a reason. And then the commentator said exactly what you did and that they were... St- penalty kick specialist and I'm like why would at first this is this is my reaction as I'm watching this I'm thinking why would you want to go to penalty kicks and then I'm watching the Croatian goalie stop three three balls it's like oh because your goalie's amazing you got it
0: yeah. understood yeah.
9: And, and that that's just the way it was and it was it was very very clinical and sometimes soccer can get into this window where it's like me it's kind of boring to watch these these clinical games but man if you if you understand and and look at the genius reactions of coaches playing this tactical game man it's entertaining and i was gripped from the time i got off here yesterday until that that game was over it was fun to watch
0: Maybe to refer to yesterday's Croatia-Japan game as the actual entertaining game is a little bit unfair to some of the flair shown by Brazil in their 4-1 win over South Korea. Brock, I want to read you something that was written by Jonathan Liu of The Guardian yesterday after taking in the game between Brazil and South Korea, talking about the Brazilian style of play. I thought this was poetry and beautiful, and I wanted to read it on the air for you today. For the first 40 minutes, as they waltzed and wove their way to a four-goal lead, they played the sort of football we have not seen from them for many years. Special effects football, computer game football, football so filthy good you needed a cigarette and a shower after watching it. For 40 minutes, Mm -hmm. Neymar and Ricardoson and Rafinha and Vinicius Jr. and Lucas Paqueta blazed little triangles, quadrilaterals, shapes that have not been named yet, shapes embroidered and gilded with wicked flicks and outrageous stepovers. It was a reminder, perhaps, that while football may have been invented on the public school playing fields of England, it was perfected on the Pampas and Preas of Brazil. Brock, that is A- A-grade sports writing, like 100% top-of-the-line sports writing. More sports writers should write like that. And two, an absolute perfect example of what Brazil did for 40 minutes yesterday, showing off that they are just the most beautiful at the beautiful game.
9: Yeah, and and I've got to be fully transparent. We say this often on the show, but I was in the midst of uh, doing Kelly and Company yesterday afternoon while this was going on, and I, I caught the highlights and it was clinical. I mean, even just the way you read that, it's like, yeah, that that depicts it, exactly what took place. And Brazil, if they play like that as the as the stage progresses, they are going to be very very tough to beat. And they show you who is boss, and they did this yesterday, but they don't do it in like a in like a stuck up way. They do it in. Such a, as you just read out, such a way that's that's very poetic looking, very video game esque, and you don't see that very often. So I am thinking Brazil is going to be right there at the end with, you know, your your France's, your um, England's, all those you know, all those teams are going to be right there in the end. And this knockout stage is shaping up. It's, round of eight is shaping up to be real, real good when we get to Friday and Saturday and beyond, so.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of, we have two games to get to today, Brock. No need to do the full deep dive preview, but your quick thought on Morocco and Spain, which is underway right now.
9: I gotta say, I love what Morocco has been able to do in in, in their group stage and be able to get here, but I love the look of, of Spain here. I think Spain will end up um, being one step ahead here and they'll be the one that moves on and uh same with uh, the second game portugal i think will will win over switzerland i think that that will be a pretty easy i don't like saying this but i think it'll be an easier game for, for for portugal to uh to take
0: switzerland has a history of giving hiccups to european powers other european powers in big games Portugal has one thing working against them right now. It appears there's a little bit of dissent going on about the role of Cristiano Ronaldo. Questions about his fitness, the amount of times he's turned the ball over his lack of playmaking. He may not start today. That'll be the first time in years that he will not start for Portugal. So that's something to look out for at 2 p.m. Eastern time on TSN. But I'm inclined to agree with you as well that Portugal may get through on this one, but I'm, Probably saying that just because I really want to see a Spain versus Portugal quarterfinal because I love me a little bit of regional rivalry. Probably the same reason why I'm finding Spain and Morocco so interesting today as, again, just a little bit of water separating those countries and a whole lot of history between them. Brock, let's talk about the Toronto Raptors. It's been ups and downs for this team so far on their way to an approximate 500 record, but looks like they had a players-only meeting after a poor performance against the Boston Celtics, Brock, your feeling about uh, players only meetings?
9: Yes. So they uh, ended up having the players only meeting when they uh, the game before the Orlando Magic when they when they played a real clinical game, and then they went on to uh, Boston and played a real good uh, first half, but they didn't close the deal. My feeling on players only meeting is the following: number one, I understand it. I don't know what it does for your team. I, you know, I think as being on teams I have through my career, I think you hold each other accountable or you should hold each other accountable through the season in that sometimes I I feel like the players only meeting is that thing that we, we hear. It's kind of like that buzz phrase of, Oh, we had a players only meeting and the door was closed and, People, you know, we have visions of people, you know, throwing words out, you know, and saying things. It's sort of the thing where it's like, okay, they came out against the Orlando Magic the following day and played really well. Okay, I I also caution people and say, let's look at the Orlando Magic's record and caution, you know, what that players-only meeting actually did in in the situation. I'm I'm not a fan of them, and I'm not a fan of how public they have become if teams want to do that that's fine I just don't like the fact that we have to sit here and publicly say oh it's a players-only meeting and as they said on the broadcast coming out of it oh look at the difference to me that you can't have that much of a difference having a players-only meeting it's it's words it's kind of keeping each other in check it's cool but I don't know if it's the biggest difference maker at the end of the day
0: yeah, it always seems weird when a team that is was destined to be about a 500 basketball team about a eighth or ninth place basketball team says, oh, we're not playing well enough. We have to have a players only meeting. It 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 seems a little performative at that point, but you know what? We don't know what's going on in that locker room and maybe there were a couple people who were dragging their knuckles or dragging their butts. The last couple of weeks, there are some young players on that squad and it might've been a situation where some of the vets said, time to step up here, boys. We got to play a little bit better if we want to actually make a run in the East. Brock, let's move over to one more topic here and it's from the football world. I think this might be a little bit too deep into the woods for a casual viewer, but the Carolina Panthers released their quarterback, well, their third-string quarterback Baker Mayfield yesterday. I, I, I think you have a question for me on this one, but I'm kind of curious to get your reaction to this piece of, uh, like, I, like it's big news, but it's not really big news.
9: No, it's it's not. And the notes that I that I sort of have written here is. I, am I surprised? No, was it as newsworthy as, you know, uh, it was made on social media in my opinion. No, that's why it's third on on the list cuz sometimes Dave and I don't get to the third thing on the list. For for me, I, I'm not surprised. I look at Baker Mayfield and I say he was he was not the guy that everyone cracked him up to be when you go back to you know, uh, Cleveland Brown days, and everyone thought that he was gonna number you know, one, sit. number one
0: overall pick, Heisman winner.
9: Yeah, like he was gonna save the day of the of the Cle- Cleveland Browns, and I and I just have never seen this in in this case. And I, I it's for me, I, I'm not surprised. I'm not sure he's gonna get another opportunity. We'll see. But he's certainly kind of burned uh, the the bridge there with Carolina. Do you? Do you see a situation where he's ever going to be that starter that he wants to be? Or has that ship now sailed with being released in this case? when you are a third-string quarterback.
0: So I think he's going to land somewhere. I actually wonder if this may have been a situation where the organization did him a solid because we just talked yesterday about the San Francisco 49ers having to put Brock Purdy in as their starter for the rest of the year after their backup quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, broke his foot after their starting quarterback, Broke his leg earlier in the year. This strikes me as maybe Carolina saying, we're going to do you a solid and let you go sign a contract somewhere else to be a backup, to be more of a rostered player. There's also an opportunity with the Lamar Jackson injury in Baltimore to be a backup quarterback for Baker Mayfield as well. So, Brock, I see this more as Carolina saying, yo, it's not working out for you here we know you might want to go somewhere else. We're happy with Sam Darnold and PJ Walker. I mean, that's like vomit-worthy caliber starting quarterback play right there, but that's who they're happy with. So I think this is more about doing him a solid and saying, hey, if you think there's an opportunity for you elsewhere in the league right now, go take it because it's not going to be here.
9: And listen, looking at the Lamar Jackson situation, quite frankly, I think there's more to this than what they want to say. They want to sit there and say this isn't, uh long term okay I'll, I'll believe it when i see it there is opportunity i i'm just not sure that even if that opportunity comes to fruition which it very well might with all those situations you just outlined i'm just not sure you're going to get enough out of mayfield that you say well this is a, this is a good move but when you are in in desperate times with quarterback injuries and second quarterback injuries and third quarterback injuries. And the list goes on and on. Sometimes you'd say, okay, well we know what he was supposed to be. Maybe we can be that magical team that says we're going to turn around Baker Mayfield because in sports management does have that ego of like, and coaches and things like that, that says we're going to be the team that turns them around. And then as, as things go on, they go, uh, maybe we weren't that team. Mm -hmm. Brock, we've got to get out of
0: here, but before I let you go, Neutral Zone, hitting the airwaves, 11 a.m. Eastern time today on AMI-audio, dropping in podcast form a little bit later. What's coming up on the show today?
9: We have a wonderful conversation with Executive Director Peter Leiser of Bocce Canada, who comes on to kind of give us a debrief of the National Championships. I did an interview with him on site, which didn't uh, didn't pan out for the, the, the podcast, so we did it in, in uh, real time. Plus, we also... Did a huge debrief on the uh, Canada Para Hockey Cup as well. So all that coming up. Very good. In a little while.
0: Very good, Brock. We appreciate it, my friend. Have a great day. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow in person. Oh, all right. Rock and roll. That's Brock Richardson. He is the host of The Neutral Zone again. As mentioned, you can find that 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio or on your favorite podcasting platform. You can find Alex Smythe at the AMI Weather Desk.
4: Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're starting off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's a mix of sun and clouds and a high of two, but feeling like minus nine. Over to Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly sunny and a high of five degrees. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's mainly cloudy and also a high of seven degrees. Over to Quebec City, Quebec, it's cloudy with rain starting this afternoon. Now there's five millimeters expected throughout the day today. But there is a rainfall warning in effect as there's gonna be continuous rain between this afternoon and tomorrow evening. So be sure to be on the lookout for that. The high is gonna be six degrees today, but it's gonna feel like minus three. Over in Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with a possibility of rain and a high of seven. To Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's a mix of sun and clouds and a chance of snow. The high is one, but feels like minus 10. Now this is where we start to get into the real uh, cold weather. we go to Brandon, Manitoba. Snow this morning, then it's clearing up in the afternoon with up to two centimeters falling. The high is minus 18, but it's gonna feel more like minus 32. Over to Regina, Saskatchewan, a chance of snow in the morning and then it'll be a mix of sun and clouds in the afternoon. The high is minus 20 and falling with a wind chill of minus 34. To Lethbridge, Alberta, snow off and on today with up to four centimeters expected. The high is minus 20, but that's feeling like minus 30. And then Red Deer, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds with possible snow, a high of minus 21 and a wind chill of minus 40. As you guessed, an extreme cold warning is in effect for the area. In Whitehorse, Yukon, Snow off and on again as well today. The high is minus nine, but it's going to be feeling more like minus 20. Now to BC, we'll start with Kelowna. It's mainly cloudy and a chance of snow in the morning. The high is minus four, but feeling like minus eight. And finally, Vancouver, BC. So there's up to two centimeters of snowfall expected this morning, and that's going to change the freezing rain. The high is three, But there's also a special weather statement in effect due to the freezing rain and that ugly condition of the snow and the rain together that they're going to be experiencing. So be sure to be careful out there if you're making your way through your commute. So that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada.
0: I coined a term when I used to work as a traffic reporter on days like that with snow and rain and freezing rain. It wasn't that it was going to be slippery out there. It was going to be that it was sloppery. Out there, sloppery out there. Coming up after the break, Google has released a new reading mode app to assist blind and partially sighted users. Nelson Rego will give you the scoop. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's talk about what's going on in the world of inclusive and accessible technology with the founder of Cool Blind Tech. That's Nelson Rago, who joins us from Edmonton. Hey, good morning, Nelson. How are you? Uh, very cold. Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, winter in December in Edmonton. That's the way that <laughs> yes. it goes. Uh, Nelson, let's start in the world of Google where they've launched a reading mode app to help blind and partially sighted users. So what does the reading app mode offer, the reading mode app offer?
2: Yeah, Google's known to do this. So th- this is going to be a standalone app. So you'll have to download this uh, from the Google Play Store. Uh, and, and this uh, uh, will enable the user to have a um, uh, one to enable it in accessibility settings. You'll have a floating button, Uh, regardless of the app or web page that you're on. uh, It'll enable the user to be able to uh, be able to read uh, a web page as kind of like reading a book. uh, If if you're without all the uh, sort of uh, things that get in the way of uh, what websites usually do.
0: So unpack that a little bit for me, Nelson. I think I understand how that's going to make it easier to use for a blind or low-vision user, but how do you think that's going to enhance the experience for someone?
2: Yeah, so for someone who's uh, low-vision, uh, it eliminates uh, all the animations that uh, pop up, the the ads that pop up uh, on apps and, and websites. Uh, that's one big important thing. It's going to focus uh, specifically on the text of the page, uh, sort of as if you're reading a book. And then for the uh, uh, the low vision, partially sighted user, uh, you'll be able to customize uh, the contrast uh, mode. Uh, you'll be able to adjust the uh, the spacing and the lines, uh, the the font type and the font size. Uh, so be able to customize uh, what you're seeing on the display, uh, regardless of the screen that you're on. Oh, I So like it'll, that. it'll be um, yeah, it'll it'll be a nice little feature. Uh, Apple's had this for a while, but it's it's good. Uh, Google's got this uh, rolling out too.
0: Yeah, the more you can offer people the opportunity to use plain text is uh, all the better. In fact, there's some websites that advertise their great perk being we don't have a bunch of pop-ups and advertisements. We make it easy to use our website. Yeah. Imagine that, thinking about the user experience, Nelson. What a what a shocking way to conduct business. Uh, Nelson, <laughs> is, is there a, a possibility that some folks with certain devices are not going to have access to this, or is this going to be across the board, all Android and Google devices?
2: Oh, uh, just quickly, so for the, the blind user, uh, it's going to enable them uh, to have the screen read aloud. Uh, so it's going to be uh, good for screen reader users. And you'll be able to customize uh, the voices there as well. So there'll be uh, some natural voices uh, to choose from. And then you'll be able to adjust the, the speed as, as you are with the, your typical sort of screen reader. So, And, and that will give them an opportunity to uh, use that in languages uh, with English, uh, French, uh, what's the other one, Italian, and Spanish. Um, and the good thing for this is that uh, if you have a legacy device that goes back to it's uh, <laughs> it's it uh, 2018, if you have a uh, an Android device from 2018, uh, you'll be able to, to use this app. So uh, that's going to cover a lot of Android devices out there. Uh, so if you have I, or not, sorry, I was going to say iOS 9. If you have Android uh, 9.0 or higher, um, you'll you'll be able to download this app. So it's 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 going to be available for pretty much just about everyone out there.
0: Pretty much anybody an who's up, up to date on their, their Android software. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's cool. Nelson, that's very good. Well, we go from the world of Google to the world of Microsoft, where they unveiled some new accessibility features on their team's platform, a platform that I'm all too familiar with. Uh, what did they have to share in this announcement, Nelson?
2: Yeah, this, uh, this came out last week. So, uh, made main announcement, um, uh, for deaf and hard of hearing uh, users, uh, on teams specifically, um, this one seems to be specific to uh, Windows users. Uh, so sometime uh, in December, uh, they'll be rolling out a feature called uh, uh, Sign Language View, and that will allow the, uh, the users to have up to two interpreters uh, on the call. Uh, you'll be able to uh, preset your settings um, so you don't have to adjust it for every specific call. Uh, you can have a default settings. Uh, you can enable captions. Um, it also allow you to specifically choose an interpreter. If you're in a, uh, a corporation or um, environment where you're allowed, to, uh, you you'll have like multiple calls. You'll be able to specifically uh, choose an interpreter if you have a preference for anyone specific. So, uh, a lot of cool updates uh, coming out. Um, uh, it is available for um, beta users right now, but uh, it's it's only a couple of weeks away. So I would just suggest people just do a wait for the rollout and then uh, just test it out. Uh, They do have a help section there. Uh, So, you know, typically things like this, when it's new, when it rolls out, uh, there's going to be some bugs. Uh, So there's a help section where you can report uh, to uh, Microsoft uh, to hopefully improve the app. Um, uh, You know, there's some great feedback there within the app.
0: Nelson, follow-up question here, because I'm a little unclear. This is a situation where they're creating a box in Teams for you to have your own ASL interpreter, or they're providing an interpreter?
2: Uh, they're, They're providing one there. So uh, you you can have, um, uh, it gives up the two uh, uh, interpreters during that call. Wow. Um, yeah, they don't specify, like, if there's any charge to this. Uh, I'm not certain how this is going to work, uh, but uh, um, from what they reported, uh, it's going to have uh, two, two interpreters there. So I'm not sure if it's going to be a, a live setting or something that's uh, been done in advance where uh, they can configure it. Um, uh, but I, I'm sure... With the algorithms uh most likely it'll probably be like a live person involved uh but anyone that's out there that's going to be having this feature uh next couple weeks definitely give some feedback uh when it rolls out because that'll be kind of cool to check it out
0: yeah let us know for sure nelson thank you for this we appreciate you stopping by it's the last time we're talking to you live on air before the holidays we are going to talk to you during our test shows but uh all all the best to you publicly For the holiday season, and I'll yeah, share the same with you, and, and I'll uh, share the same with you privately yeah. next week. <laughs> All right, take care, everyone. That's Nelson Rago, the founder of Cool Blind Tech, as I mentioned. Uh, Last live check-in with Nelson here before the uh, before the end of the year as we're going on a little bit of a hiatus while we test some new equipment and new gear and get a new studio set up heading into the new year. So this Friday is our last live show of the year on Now with Dave Brown before we go ahead and do some rehearsals and test shows behind the scenes. And we'll be back in early January, January the 9th, the Monday of 2023. We're going to be uh, relaunching or re soft launching the show. So if you tune in next Monday and we're not on, don't panic. We've not been canceled, at least not yet. Coming up after the break, we bring in Nizrain and we bring in Alex and we talk about Oxford Dictionary's Word of the Year. It's actually two words, but I'll, I'll quibble with that when we get there. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. <laughs> Welcome back it's now with dave brown on ami we'll bring in nazreen and alex in just a moment but first i want to set up the story oxford dictionaries has announced its 2022 word of the year shelly adler looks up goblin mode
5: Oxford Dictionary says the phrase goblin mode has been selected by online voters as its word of the year. As for what it means, Oxford defines the term as, quote, a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent, lazy or greedy, typically in a way that rejects social norms or expectations. First seen on Twitter in 2009, goblin mode gained popularity in 2022, as people around the world emerge with confusion from pandemic lockdowns. I'm Shelley Adler.
0: And I'm stealing this one from the news quiz. This would have been the tie-breaking question later in the show. But Merriam-Webster has also picked their 2022 word of the year, and they went with gaslighting, which is a word you've probably heard before but maybe haven't necessarily had defined for you. Gaslighting means to manipulate someone over an extended period of time, especially for one's own advantage. It gets its name from, where's the next page here? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. From 1938, Patrick Hamilton play Gaslight. So there you go. A little bit of more information as the dictionaries are out with their words of the year. So let's bring in Alex and Nasreen on this one. Guys, I think we're all familiar with the word gaslighting, right, Nasreen? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one we've heard before. Alex, same for you, right? Gaslighting is no surprise to anybody.
4: Yeah, exactly. I'm familiar with it. It's been in the cultural zeitgeist for the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, I feel like that one's been around since like 2015, 2016, 2014, somewhere Mm -hmm. in that zone. So that one's not new, but I do want to drill down on this Goblin Mode because this is one that I had never heard of before and I consider myself to be like somewhat online. Not fully online, but I'm somewhat online and I've never heard this one at all. Nazreen, had you come across Goblin Mode?
1: I was today years old when i found out that i wasn't as hip as i thought because i've never heard of this word in my life goblin mode and they say that it's been trending or not trending but it's been used a lot i have no idea what that is
4: alex goblin mode was this one on your radar i had heard about it i i never had heard it used in context but I, I have a bit of a bone to pick with the selection because it's supposed to be the word of the year and goblin mode is two words. It's not even hyphenated mm. or anything like, come on now, like, can, can we do a bit better? Come on, Oxford.
0: Uh, Grace Schofield, let's round this out. Let's see if we can find a unanimity here. Had you heard the expression goblin mode? You run amongst the young people.
5: Apparently not, because no, I've never heard that expression before and I I read it and I was like, what does this even mean? And it meant something completely different than what I thought it meant.
0: So, let's let's reverse this the other way because now that I've heard the expression, I love the expression. Being self-indulgent and lazy like turns out I am goblin mode. Turns mm. out I am a goblin. Grace, will you start using this one to try and be hip?
5: Honestly? No. I kind of hate it. Okay. It's kind of bad. <laughs> oh.
0: Okay. All right. That's one vote against and one vote for. Nizreen. do you feel like you might start using the expression goblin mode?
1: I would. I would try to be hip as possible. You know, I'm, I'm 26. Let's let's get younger every day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> goblin mode. Well, it's like, it's like a couple of years ago when Chugi got named one of the words of the year. And I was like, what on earth does Chugi mean? And I said I was going to start using it. And then I didn't because I could never work it into a sentence quite naturally. Really. Alex, what about you? Is it time to bring goblin mode into your vernacular?
4: Absolutely not. Now, the only time I would ever use goblin mode, I, I to me mentally, it paints a picture that you have to have like this little snickering that follows it, kind of like, <laughs> you know, like that. That seems like any time you're gonna reference anything with goblin mode. So I'm not gonna use it. I I never been hip. I'm never gonna try to be hip. I'm just gonna be me. And I, I guess that's somewhat goblin mode of being self indulgent and not caring about. Uh, Societal norms in a certain way?
0: The number of times that I've tried to tell people that I'm hip, and then I start quoting Dr. (laughs) Evil from Austin Powers, and they look at me and you're like, you're only proving your point by quoting a movie from 1997. I'm hip. I'm with it. See that's how hip I am. Classic. Um, Classic. Does this once again remind us? Because this was an online vote for Oxford Dictionaries. That Alex, when we give people the power to vote on these things, we end up with goblin mode and Bodie McBoatface.
4: Now I will say, Bodie McBoatface is is an nat- uh, international treasure that should be cherished every single day. But yeah, this is what happens when when you vote on it. I mean, is. Are are we just going to have like constantly people are just voting? What words do you want to get into the dictionary? Maybe that's already how they do it. I may, I'm not up to date on how the uh, Oxford and the Merriam-Webster dictionaries are adding votes and uh, words and things like that. So I guess this is kind of you, you reap what you sow, right? You open it up to the public. You got to be aware that some words that a lot of people may not be aware of are going to get in. And is rain another example of uh, people can't
0: be trusted with nice things?
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. I mean, I don't even know how this uh, voting thing happens or how accurate it is, but apparently you can submit uh, a form to create a new word. And I'm, I'm thinking about making up a whole new word and just submitting
0: it. Oh, here we go. now. Let's I, mean, do it, I Dave. mean, I just coined one earlier. Well, I didn't coin it earlier this hour, but I mentioned it earlier this hour that when you get a combination of snow, freezing rain and rain on a wintry day, we should call that sloppery. So we're combining sloppy and slippery conditions to get sloppery.
1: So it's sloppery outside. It's
0: sloppery outside.
1: I I think I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it.
0: Hashtag sloppery. We're getting somewhere. (laughs) Okay, last word on this goes to Grace. Grace, online voting. Can we not trust people with uh, this kind of freedom to be voting on words of the year?
5: I think that this words of the year thing provides like a cool opportunity to be like, what was trending this year? And then you come up with something like goblin mode and nobody knows what it means. So, yeah, I definitely think that maybe online voting by just whoever you want is not the best way to go about a word of the year.
0: Yeah, we should just let robots do it. We should just let the algorithms (laughs) at Twitter be like, what was the word that was used the most this year? And then just do it that way. Uh, Grace, thank you. Nazreen, thank you. Alex, thank you as well. Uh, Nazreen, you're in the building today. Delighted to have you aboard.
1: I can't wait to see you, Dave.
0: Well, what what brought you to the building?
1: I just wanted to come in. Okay.
0: All right. Well, we'll do a little hang in with Nazreen after the show. And I do want to mention that after our show hits the airwaves today and heads off into the ether, Kelly and Company will hit the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Nutritionalist Julie Karanchis will share some recommendations on some health and wellness-related gifts for the holiday season. People always are happy to get a toothbrush in their stocking. And in the woodworking segment, Jeff Thompson will tell you all about the oscillating tool. And James Fisher chats about the 10th anniversary of the Krampus Ball Will, an event celebrating the Darker Side of Christmas. A lot of holiday talk on this show, on Kelly and Company. It's almost like we're trying to get me into the spirit of the season. Kelly and Company comes your way 2 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. But coming up next, we have the Weekly News Quiz. Karen McGee, Ryan DeLahanty and Alex Smith. Smythe? Smith Smythe. Will be put to the test by me. It's the Weekly News Quiz. It's always a lot of fun. It's now with Dave Brown on ami Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's the last segment of a Tuesday show, our last live Tuesday show of the year, which means that it's the last weekly news quiz. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. It might be the last one of the year, but that does not mean anyone's throwing in the towel. So let's bring in our contestants. Starting in Halifax, Nova Scotia, it's Ryan Delahanty.
3: Thanks for having me back. Hoping to take the crown.
0: We have some numbers here on uh, the standings since we relaunched in September. So, Ryan, safe to say you are in the mix. Someone who's always in the mix is Karen McGee in Morrisburg, Ontario. Hello, Karen.
6: Hi, coming to you from Construction Central. I don't know if you guys can hear that going on that no, back there. No, no,
0: what's going on?
6: Good. little electrical work. Got to update every once in a while. An 1880's house has to be updated to the year 2000 and... Fair
0: enough. Try not to burn the house down with electrical fires. I think 1880 electricity had barely been invented yet. And we finish (laughs) off with Alex Smythe in Burlington, Ontario. Hello once again, Alex.
4: Hello, hello. And uh, thankfully there's no uh, uh, fire hazards around uh, me here in Burlington. Okay, very good. Very good. Safety first through and through here on
0: Now with Dave Brown. This may be A very familiar news quiz for a lot of you, but just in case it's your first time, let's go over the rules. There are three rounds of questions with three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear the options and get it right, you get one point. If you get it wrong, we move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants and questions were drawn and produced by Paul Daniel, so the order will be Ryan Karen, and Alex. So question number one of round number one is going to Ryan. Ryan, a country is calling on the U.S. to be expelled from the World Cup over social media posts that it claimed it had disrespected its flag. Which country was it? I will need the options. Was it Iran? Was it Saudi Arabia? Or was it Morocco? Morocco. That is incorrect. Karen. <laughs>
6: That was an aggressive buzz. <laughs> Holy cow. May have had a little
0: bit of a may have had a little finger jam there.
6: It was um Iran.
0: It was indeed Iran. The U.S. defeated Iran 1-0 last Tuesday to move on to the next round of World Cup competition, where they were promptly knocked out by the Dutch. So that's one point for Karen McGee. Question number two going to Karen. And if you've been listening to this show, you're very well aware of this story. The Monoloa volcano has begun erupting for the first time since 1984, shooting lava more than 100 feet into the air on which of the Hawaiian islands?
6: Oh, which of the islands? Sorry, I knew the name. I know the state. I don't know which island. I'll take the choices, please.
0: So is it Molokai? Is it the big island or is it Oahu?
6: I'll take the big island.
0: That is correct. Hawaii is the largest island on the state of Hawaii, and Mauna Loa is the largest active volcano in the world, rising more than 13,000 feet above sea level. So two points for Karen on the board here, with the fellas having nil and nil. It's almost like a real soccer game over here. Alex, question number three of round number one coming to you. Cyril Ramposa faces the threat of becoming the first president to face impeachment in which country?
4: Ooh, uh,
0: I'll need the options, please. Is it South Africa? Is it Tunisia or is it Romania?
4: Uh, I'm going to go with South Africa. That
0: is... Correct. One point for Alex. Large amounts of U.S. dollars in cash were discovered stashed at Ramfosa's private farm in 2020. Cash operation. I respect that. After one (laughs) round, Karen has two points. Alex has one and Ryan is sitting on a big old goose egg as we begin round number two. Karen McGee, a professional athlete, was removed from an American Airlines flight last week in Miami after failing to respond to requests to buckle his seatbelt. Which athlete was it?
7: Oh, I read the story and I'm going to guess the wrong one, so give me the choices.
0: Was it Roy Jones Jr., Odell Beckham Jr., or Antonio Brown?
6: I want to say Odell Beckham Jr.
0: That is correct. The flight crew reported Beckham appeared to be drifting in and out of consciousness as staff tried to wake him up, and they feared he might be seriously ill. Beckham said he was just sleepy and had gone to sleep on the plane. Question number two of round number two goes to Alex. Alex, last week, a group of current and former students from this prestigious american university filed a lawsuit accusing the institution of discrimination against students with mental health disabilities which university is it
4: i'll need the options please
0: your options are princeton harvard or yale oh uh i'm gonna go with harvard that is incorrect ryan delahanty was it princeton or yale princeton That is also incorrect. Karen McKee with the default point on Yale. The complaint alleged that some students have been pressured to withdraw from the institution and those who sought to be reinstated were given unreasonable burdens. The lawsuit seeks to change the university's withdrawal policies, including the mandatory relinquishment of health insurance and tuition payments. A Yale spokesperson has said the university is working on policy changes responsive to the student's emotional and financial well-being. Question number three of round number two, going to Ryan. And we've covered this one extensively on the show as well. Ryan, yesterday an automotive plant in Ingersoll, Ontario, home of Paula Denin, became this country's first full scale electric vehicle making facility. Which automaker owns the plant?
3: Do I get two points if I just
0: guess the letter without the options? <laughs> Option B. I, I don't know what I don't know why you're doing that, but no, that's incorrect. Ah, all right. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm coming from behind here. I need uh, all the help I can get. Oh, oh! T- t- you know what? I, now I understand your strategy, but still incorrect. And now giving uh, Karen an opportunity here for two points because we've not heard the options yet.
5: I'll take Ford.
0: Karen McGee swinging and missing oh. here. Alex, do you want the options for two, or do you it have GM? It is GM, that's right, two points for Alex with the General Motors. Wow, there's some uh, chicanery going on here in the second round of the game. On Monday, the first bright drop Zev 0600 rolled off the lines at the Cami plant, marking the reopening of the facility that was temporarily shuttered in May in order to retool itself. Okay, so here we are after two rounds. Karen with four, Alex with three, Ryan's still on the goose egg, but just FYI, This whole round is going to be holiday-themed questions, holiday-themed questions in round number three. So Hallmark holiday movie fans might have some kind of an advantage going into this one. But Alex gets the first crack at this one. What is Ralphie's little brother's name in a Christmas story?
4: Uh, Oh, man, this is a movie I've seen so many times, and I can't stand it, and I cannot remember. I'll need the options, please. Is it Walter, Randy, or Robbie? <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with uh, Robbie.
0: That is incorrect. Ryan Delahanty. Is it Walter or Randy?
4: I've always liked the name Walter. Let's go with that.
0: Oh, no, Ryan. (laughs) No logic here. Karen gets another default point here. Karen McGee just stocking them up here. The film was released in November 1983, kind of like how I was released in November 1983. It was filmed partially in Canada, and the movie earned two Canadian Genie Awards in 1984. Ryan, another question for you here. This year marks the 125th anniversary of a letter written by eight-year-old Virginia O'Hanian to the editor of the New York Sun asking a simple question. Is there a Santa Claus? What month did O'Hanian write the letter? I'll take the options. Is so it December, October, or September? October. This incorrect. Karen McGee, December or September?
6: I'm going to say September.
0: That is correct. Karen McGee just crushing this news quiz. A copy of the letter was authenticated in 1998 by Kathleen Guzman, an appraiser on the television program Antiques Roadshow. In 2007, the show appraised its value at around fifty thousand dollars. Uh, This one is all but a formality, but may as well ask question number three of round number three. Karen, in Newfoundland, what does the old custom of blowing the pudding involve when the Christmas pudding is lifted from the pot?
6: Well, that is a loaded question. I am going to say it's when you put it on, you, you light it up, you put the liquor on it, and then you light it.
0: No, but that is something my family does with our Christmas mine. and I love it, particularly when you're using the rum to get that fire. Lots of rum on some Christmas cake, getting the job done. Uh, Karen got that. uh, Karen got that wrong. Alex, would you like the options, or you want to fire a guess off here? Uh, So, can you read the question again, please? Yes, the question is somewhat complicated. So, in Newfoundland. What does the old custom of blowing the pudding involved when the Christmas pudding is lifted from the pot?
4: Uh, yeah, you know, I'll take the options. Why not? Is it
0: gunfire? Is it blowing of soap bubbles or a whistling chorus? It's probably a
4: whistling chorus. I never would have guessed either of these. So.
0: Nope, that is incorrect. Ryan, Ooh. you're not far from Newfoundland and Labrador. What, what do you know in Halifax? Very little about pudding. So what were the options left? You have gunfire or blowing of soap bubbles?
9: Blowing of soap bubbles.
0: That is incorrect, which means I get a point. I get one point. (laughs) Boom. But that means with that, the winner is... Karen McGee, a dominant performance here in the last news quiz of the year. Hold on one moment here because I do have our final standings since we reset the game in September. So Karen McGee wins the latter half of 2022 with five wins. Alex picks up three, Ryan had two, Mike Ross had two, and Jim Crisco had one. I think the most impressive number there was so Mike Ross. I think he was only involved in two as a contestant and won them both.
6: No, no, Jim. Jim with the one—that would be the most impressive to me. Jim
0: with the one the for Jim one. That's also yeah. That's also a fair one too. Mike and Jim showing off in in uh, fine fashion over there. Well, guys, as I've said a bunch of times on the show today, ahead of a hiatus week uh, for the next month or so, this is our last live broadcast of a news quiz for the year. So, Karen, Alex—well, not Alex—I'm going to wish you a happy holidays later. But Karen, <laughs> Ryan, happy holidays to you guys both. Thank you very. See much. You tomorrow, Dave. Oh, I'm talking to you tomorrow, Karen?
7: Just just in person. Oh, in
0: person. Are you on the show Thursday?
7: Yes, I'm on the show Thursday. Oh,
0: okay. Then, I wasn't going to bring that up. Then I don't even know what I'm doing here. Let's just wrap up the show. <laughs> That's all the time we have for today. The very confused Dave Brown will be back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv.
6: The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.